Good evening. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Enter freely and of your own will. In this episode, you may find many strange things, for the films to be discussed are old, and they have many memories. So, be there. Be there. Hey, greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Bogle Pass Horror Podcast. As always, this is Scott from Boston. And this is Jim Towns from LA. So happy you can join us today. One of my favorite movies, I think one of Jim's too. I don't say it's a little bit lesser known, but maybe a little bit off of, um, you know, the main trail, but one that I picked up on very young, very early in my universal career is 1935's The Raven. And, you know, a huge part of that obviously is the two stars, Karloff and Lugosi. Yeah, um, can't go wrong there. And I mean, as a young boy, I remember seeing it was basically Frankenstein, young. I'm sorry, <laughs> I said young Frankenstein. It was yeah. Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, and Dracula. I think those three movies I had on repeat for like years. So when I finally understood, at probably like the age of like nine or ten, that Lugosi and Karloff were actually in a movie together. I was right. like so damn excited. I mean, I mean these these couple films, Invisible Ray, uh, Raven. Black Cat and, and and a couple of the others. It I mean, they are basically Frankenstein versus Dracula. They're they're the movie we never got from Universal, right? Just without the makeup. That's exactly the what essence, it feels like, the right? essence is there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's very much, you know, Lugosi could be Dracula without the fangs. Like he's just the look mm-hmm. and the attitude. And, you know, obviously we'll get into it with Kaloff, you know, becoming more of the sympathetic quote unquote monster. But yeah, just a fantastic film and so happy we're able to tackle this one. So Yeah, man. Yeah, let's get right into it. So The Raven starring, of course, Boris Koloff as Mr. Edward Bateman, Bella Lugosi as Dr. Richard Vollen, Lester Matthews as Dr. Halden, who actually we just saw in Werewolf of London not too long ago. Yeah. Irene Ware as Jean Thatcher, who I didn't know much about her. She was great. You know, loved her acting, but just really hadn't seen her that much. I had to do a little bit of poking around on IMDb and you know, notice she was in the Orient Express, which I have seen, but I don't remember her in that. It's been, and it's been a long time since I've seen Orient Express, but you know, you just seen in these universal films, the same actors, you know, you see them multiple times, but I didn't know, right. um, I didn't know Irene. No, I don't, I didn't know much about her either. I, uh, this is the main thing I know her from, and I just know how how lovely she is in this. I mean, really, I mean, up there uh, for me as far as as universal horror like leading women, she, she, her and Zita Johan are, are right at the top for me, and and she's just a great performance and a great. She's very approachable. She's very a lot of the women. Like I, I think I said this about um, Helen Chandler and Dracula. Like a lot of the the female performances in these universal films are a little less arched than the males the women characters are the actresses just seem a lot more contemporary like you could drop them into a modern film and irene would would sort of blend in as opposed to trying to drop judge thatcher into a modern (laughs) film i think i think he would come yeah they feel very universal i mean universal the universal universe is truly timeless placeless and yeah that's a super point with with jane i mean she could be you know going to the cinema tomorrow and you know expect to see her and she's she's just great so i kind of wish before and before i forget sorry but before i forget i do want to say because i don't acknowledge this this aspect of the films that much i think vera west 
knocks it out of the park on this particular I mean she always does but especially this film like Irene's costumes are really neat and really just unique they they feel they are theatrical they're bigger than life she doesn't dress like a normal person dresses but they're stunning on her and, and as always Vera always did amazing uh, work and I know Scott you posted a little uh, note about her on our on our uh, social media pages and I, I loved seeing her acknowledged because because uh, as opposed to Jack Pierce and some of the other you know Carl Freund and stuff uh, Vera while her name is synonymous with all these films, doesn't always get a whole lot of mention of late. And it's it's cool to uh, to, to bring her to the fore. It's certainly a great movie to call out Vera West between yeah. the different costume changes. And, you know, we'll go into it with the dance routine. And yeah, so so always always good to call out in talent. And, you know, certainly Vera West is, is yeah. right there. And then you mentioned um, Samuel Hines as Judge Thatcher. And I mean, we did <laughs> do a <laughs> man-made monster. And we just, we always wanted to call him Judge Thatcher. Yeah, yeah I, know, I know. It's it, it's very much. It's he's either Judge Thatcher or Paul pa Bailey. Yeah, Paul Bailey, right? It's either that or uh, a Wonderful Life. So I'm so happy we could finally call this guy Judge Thatcher and yes. be not wrong. No, of course, movie based. I'll say loosely based, quote unquote, on the 1845 poem by, of course, Edgar Allan Poe. And Jim and just mentioned this. Yes, this was the final of a Poe trilogy, and um, all actually all starring Lugosi. Lugosi was signed to a three picture deal. With Universal, and as we said, starting with Murders in the Rue Morgue, which I cannot wait to get to. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Black Cat, which I know, Jim, is extremely high on your list. One of my favorites. Yeah. So that might be a three-hour podcast. When we that could be easily. <laughs> we finally get to Black Cat. Just on the sets. So this one here, I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I knew until we started really digging into, you know, some of the background on the film that this one was largely banned. I mean, not so much in the United States, but I mean, all over Canada China, the Netherlands, they looked at this film as not having a whole lot of merit. I mean, they looked at it. And when I say they, I mean, the folks that can certainly can ban films from a country. They looked at it as, you know, I saw this quote many times, murder for murder's sake. So I guess having murder in a film, as long as you have a, you know, strong backstory or, you know, motive is fine, but just to kill just for the sake of killing, I guess, turned off a lot of people on this film. I, you know, I can, I could see that. And, and it is true. uh, We, we, we touched on this a little bit with, with Invisible Man, but Lugosi's character is, uh, Dr. Ballin is, is a, is a total sadist in this film. That's not even, there's not a really a rationalization. It's not like some awful thing happened to him and now he does this and stuff. You know, he is tormented somehow, and we're unspecific about what exactly the thing is that's tormenting him. Is it Gene? Is it is it something else or something bigger in his past? He's a successful guy. He's got everything, you know, he's got servants and a beautiful house and stuff, and he's got a rock and man cave downstairs. <laughs> Obviously, um, he loves hurting people, and it's without a real rationale. It's it's because he he gets off on it, and and I could see that alone just really shocking and really uh, offending a lot of people in the era, especially. Yeah, I think it would have helped this film a lot. At least, I mean, for me to hit to learn exactly what you just said, some kind of backstory with Valen. I mean, he yeah. clearly was twisted well before meeting Gene. I mean, he'd only known Gene, and they say it in the movie about a month prior to her they, him going to this dinner party. So, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming this had taken years and years for Valen, the Lugosi character, to build all these torture devices and 
Um, so I mean, this feels like you know years and years in the making. Whether he had well, yeah, it. I mean that was. I mean, he he ends up using them to torment these people that he feels have have disrespected him or whatever. But that was, I mean, that was a sort of a point I was going to get into a little later in the, in the episode. But let's do it now. It's like he didn't build these for fun. He built these to use them on somebody. Right. So aside from this recent dr- drama that he's dealing with 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 Jean and her father Judge Thatcher and what and you know her her affection and Bow and stuff, he's been looking for a reason, I guess. To to, to use all these toys he built for a while. And um, and that's disturbing. <laughs> some people go out, go for a jog. Some people play music. Some people right. just to, to get a release, just an escape from the stresses in, of life. Right. And he some people wants- build giant swinging race car pendulums <laughs> in their basement. <laughs> And we're not judging anybody as long as we're not subjected to uh, said torture. As long as, how do I say this? As long as all parties are are, uh, consenting adults, you know, I don't care what you build in your basement. (laughs) Absolutely. Exactly. (laughs) Then we cross the line when we get into into target. Right. You got to have a safe word. If there's a safe word in the pendulum, (laughs) then you're fine. Anyway, we're going down a rabbit hole here. Yeah. (laughs) So let's get rolling in the film. So opening scene is... Gene Thatcher in a car, very similar to the opening in Man-Made Monster. It's a stormy yeah. night, sees a detour sign. She panics and she goes off a cliff. And literally, it's like a five-second scene. She's driving, she's comfortable. She sees a detour sign and she's rolling down a cliff. Possibly driving a little too fast for conditions, <laughs> I, w- I would I would argue, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. so she, she sort of takes a dive off a of Mulholland Drive or, or whatever it's supposed to be. And there's a nice little switch there where where the, the actual car with the stunt driver on a somewhere in it in Los Angeles, California area, uh, switches to the model uh, with the miniature set and then the model uh, car flipping over. And it's, it's obviously a model, but it's again, again, like man made monsters, one of the shots is like, I just love it. I love the model. I love the weightlessness of the little thing when it flips over and stuff. It's just, and then the, the dubbed in crashing sound effect. It's wonderful. I wish it was a little bit longer. It just, it felt like it was, you know, it's yeah. it was over. So like Invisible cool. Man, if she could bounce a few times, right? Ah! <laughs> 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 Scream a little bit. Uh, I love that movie. No. Anyway, no. so poor Jean is done, um, fell down a cliff. So really quick cut scene. Now we're in a hospital room and Jean is laying unconscious in her bed with her dad, Judge Thatcher, her boyfriend or fiance, Jerry, who's also a doctor, by the way, and two other doctors who presumably work at the hospital. Kind of just discussing discussing her and they basically they explain it as she that she has something impinged on nerves either in her neck or in her back and she is going to die and no one really has any idea how to cure her how to fix or how to relieve whatever's impinging on her nerves i kind of feel bad for jerry at this point judge thatcher who you know of course is gene's dad kind of looks at him and just says gene or um jerry just do something just right do something like he's like, he could just like pull a magic wand and make gene jump out of bed uh, the thatcher character is interesting you know I, I i think watching this film when i was younger i fell into the the you know just what what the movie wants you to you know judge thatcher's a good man he's a judge and he so he's he's on the side of right and everything and, and he's sort any he sort of the the audience's uh logic of like you know why are we why are we in this house let's get out of here you know whatever watching it again late Thatcher's a little bossy. He he's he's a man used to getting his way. He's a man used to later on we'll get into where he he walks into Lugosi's house and, and tells him what what Lugosi's going to do concerning his daughter. In a way that Black Cat is is sort of Karloff and Lugosi like a test of wills against each other. This is really like Judge Thatcher and and Dr. Volan are sort of like a test of wills in this thing. They're both men that are used to people doing what they want. But but he is he's a father who's terrified for the life of his daughter and 
he's willing to do anything to to try and um, to save her. It's a great parallel to Black Cat, a personality, and he is not used to compromising. He wants what he wants. So he wants Jerry to fix Gene, or at least come up with some kind of solution to fix Gene. So Jerry proclaims that it has to be Dr. Vallen, who is, yeah. you know, of course, Bella Lugosi. So, you know, without knowing much of him, he's obviously thought of extremely highly by not only Jerry, who again is a doctor, but the doctors in attendance that Vaughn is the only one that can cure Gene. So really quick cut while we move on to Vaughn's house. And it's just, I, I love this scene. This is one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. So it's Lugosi sitting behind a desk and he kind of, it's a side shot of him. So it's, you know, he's looking kind of off to the side and you've got this huge shadow of a raven and it's him, Lugosi reciting the Poe poem. Right. And I, I, I just love this. I love the shadows. I love the atmosphere. I love Lugosi's retelling of the poem. Just, just good and stuff here. No one does Poe the way Lugosi does it. I mean, every, a lot of people have done Poe very, very well. Uh, Christopher Lee, Jeffrey Combs, and, and I, I, you know, there's a huge list of great actors who've done Poe. Lugosi, just the way his his unique accent and diction wrap themselves around things like flirt and flutter, mm. uh, you know, lines like that from the poem are just. I mean, he the the, the the one thing you can never not say about Lugosi is that he relishes and and you know a, a, a good line or a good dialogue. He can really sell it, and uh, and he does he does wonderful work. I I, I wish. I wish he did the whole poem somehow in this, Wouldn't that be wonderful? you know, maybe every chapter he could, he could do another stanza of the poem or something. It's wonderful to listen to. Oh, and it's my understanding too, that Lugosi legitimately was a huge fan of Poe, hmm. which just makes this a lot more fun that, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, he's reciting something that he truly loves. Right. And you, can just, you can just tell, man, I, I know I've heard the Christopher Lee version and it's great. I don't know if um, James Earl Jones I know a couple of people have done it to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. How wonderful would it be to hear? I mean, I'd, I'd listen to Bella's cry yeah. and talk about anything. He could say, and I wouldn't be surprised if Bella could probably do the whole poem without looking at by heart, text right? Text and stuff. Yeah, oh. in in the era, it seems like something he could. It it really matched his aesthetic as well. So you know, I think there's a there's a reason. I you know, I don't think Karloff really, and I'm talking out of my hat here, obviously, but but I. I my feeling is that Karloff did not really invest in in the dark side of creativity as much as Lugosi, and and maybe that's why Lugosi embodies this boogeyman more than you know Karloff played monsters, but Lugosi embodies the boogeyman in in film to a large degree, and I, I think I think that has something to do with it. So, and and it's another reason this role is is perfect for him. Yeah, I mean, just knowing, I mean, we can't get on a rabbit hole here in in Bella's life, but I mean, just his career in in the wars and in the armed services he saw a lot of death he saw our friends die and you can just feel that like you said that weight and just that um gosh i mean just again it makes him so perfect for a role like this and yeah kind of a tormented soul closer to poe's own story uh more so than 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 boris as well so yeah it's it's just a marriage of of perfection so again going back to the volan house so he's reciting this poem so he's hosting somebody from a museum so it's a uh, mr chapman from one of the local museums, apparently Chapman caught wind that Vaughn has this amazing collection of Poe and would like to purchase them. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course, Vaughn uh, refuses. I mean, I think out of, you know, well, I think he's there to breathe. He says collection, but, but my understanding is that maybe Vaughn has a collection of, I don't know, like first editions or something of Poe. And then he says, I'd also like to look at your 
you know, devices you've built downstairs. You know, I and and this this scene has one of my favorite uh, Lugosi lines as well, where they talk about you know the Raven. And he's got the stuffed Raven on the on in you know they watches over his room of all and dust, and the the little man's like you know odd thing to have in a house, you know, it's a symbol of death. And Lugosi just perfectly nails it's like death is my talisman. Isn't that you wonderful? Know? Man, like, uh, and and that's something that pervades the film is that Lugosi, Doctor Ballin sees himself as something other than normal people, quite possibly superior. Oh, he says it later on. He he compares himself to a god. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so, so we get into and we'll get into more about the the god complex of of Doctor Ballin, which is not. There's a whole established line of thinking about doctors with god complexes. These these are people that have power over life and death, and the the right type of person that turns that person into somebody who who can perform miracles and on the wrong side of somebody you know there's the possibility that things could go otherwise <laughs> let's just right, say that right during the meeting with mr chapman vaughn receives a phone call from jerry of course who's still at the hospital with gene seeking his help and Ballin is you know polite enough but basically refuses he says i'm retired from you know actual practice i'm just doing research right now and Thatcher, who's, of course, never, he's not used to being told no, is right beside yeah. Jerry, grabs the phone away. And, um, you know, Thatcher gets on the phone to Ballin, says, you know, you need to help my daughter and Ballin again. I'm sorry, but I'm, you know, I refuse. I'm, I'm not going to help you. And- yeah. And Th- Thatcher doesn't want, Thatcher's not a guy who takes no for an answer. He's, again, uh, just like Ballin, Th- Thatcher's a guy used to telling people what they're going to do. So he gets hung up on and immediately Thatcher turns around, finds a nurse and says, what's Ballin's home address? Yeah. So I don't know if there's ethical issues here, but the nurse had no problem giving him his home address. And um... <laughs> right, <laughs> he's a man of the court, I guess. You know. I guess, yeah, uh, yeah. But exactly. Now, now there would be sort of yeah, there would definitely be a private information issue. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, if you get somebody like you know Thatcher and this nurse who probably wants to keep her job, it's yep. Thank you, yeah. Judge. So dismisses uh, our Mr. Chapman leaves and um, really quick cutscene. So now we're back. I guess we're staying at Bond's house. And we see Thatcher entering. So he's pretty quick drive over from the hospital. Oh, yeah. Enters um, Vaughn's house. And Vaughn isn't in, you know, I can't, I can't blame him for this. He's not as polite. You know, now he's, you know, this guy's, he's told him no, Thatcher's entering his home unannounced. So he's a little, you know, put off by that. Yeah. And Vaughn he's retired. Again. I mean, he, he actually is retired at this point. He has he does right. not is not practicing, you know, physical medicine anymore. He's doing research. He's he's moved on. And that's the thing. And and this guy has basically invited himself over to his house and said, no, no, you're doing this. <laughs> you're not right. giving him an option. Right. No, he owes. Exactly. He owes nothing to nobody. He's as yeah. you know, he's retired. He's, he's working a, for himself. Will unto and, himself or something. He has a great right. line like that. That's right. I'm a. So, um, again, says, no, I'm, I'm not helping you. And the judge, you know, pleads for the life of my daughter. And, you know, and Lugosi says this a couple of times that, you know, life and death and, you know, pain, they have a different meaning for everyone else than it does for me. And he right. uses that line too. It's, you know, judge, I understand your daughter is dying, but death doesn't mean the same to you than as it does to me. And finally, judge, he kind of placates Lugosi or placates Valen's ego and yeah. says, all the doctors say you are the only one. And then, you know, you see Valen's eyes just light right up. That's and that's what it took for him to be engaged. Like, oh, so I'm I'm the only one. They all agree that I'm the best. And finally says, Okay, I'll help you. <laughs> then I'll do it. Yeah, it's really funny. It 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 is. It, it he appeals to his 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 ego. 
Um, like you said, you get the feeling that Fallen, while a brilliant surgeon, was probably not the most popular guy at the hospital. You know, <laughs> so, I can't imagine. Like, imagine like, being a nurse. Probably didn't get. Yeah, didn't get invited out for beers afterwards with all the other doctors and medical staff and stuff. <laughs> he just wasn't that guy. So I do think somehow their their acknowledgement that yeah he was superior after all. Maybe Volan's retirement wasn't a hundred percent his own choice either. I, I I would I I could sort of infer that a bit that maybe he was invited to maybe retire a little because he's not. I mean he's not a man of retiring age in this film. Obviously he's in his fifties. He's in his prime really as a doctor. Possibly the hospital was like you know how about Dr. Fallen, you practice uh, somewhere else. It, it, yeah, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just throw that out as a possibility. It almost took me back to like Henry Frankenstein leaving medical school. That it just, you know, yeah. he had, he had, he had hit the roof, and or I shouldn't say hit the roof. He kind of eclipsed whatever he was going to do yes. at the school and had to go off on his own. And maybe to a certain degree, Vaughn was the same way. But yeah, I agree. I mean, chances are he was probably they probably threw a huge party when Vaughn decided to retire oh, and. You know, he just wanted, you know, all this time to God almost get lost in his own mind with this. I'm going to go spend more time with my torture devices. You, you can, <laughs> I'll bet you the staff in. meetings were a lot less uh, tense uh, when one's fallen left the hospital. <laughs> pizza uh, so, pizza Friday. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, just picturing what an HR nightmare Ballin must have been. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Oh, talking, right. yeah, talking the the stuff he would probably say to like to like oh, uh, patients and stuff. Yeah, with no filter there. Mm-hmm. Like, you, death doesn't mean the same thing to me as it does to you. Is really what you want to hear about the guy trying to save your husband's life, right? Right. Um, oh yeah, he, I'm sure he was called into HR at least once a week. Yeah. So so he um he comes in and yeah and he performs the operation on Gene and and you know we have a good little. Uh, laboratory scene where I always I always like if I can see Lugosi in like in like operating gear with like the little cap and the and the mask and the smock and stuff like that for and putting on obviously putting on rubber gloves which is something that he does you know with the hand acting Lugosi always did like so well like, I love the fingers and we talked about this with John Carradine and Captive Wild Woman but like like Lugosi's hands look like yeah they would be the hands of a surgeon it looks like the the dexterity he possesses in those things he seems like a guy who could perform miracles that other normal human beings could not so yeah and there uh, and it's a really quick scene in the operating room so Lugosi's covered basically he's covered head to toe in surgical gear smock and, and mask but of course it's the Lugosi eyes those Dracula eyes right. looking out in the camera really close up view of you know a Volan just like staring at Gene on the uh, on the table and it's just so freaking creepy Oh yeah. Well, while she's, I mean, she, they, they've sort of put her out now, right? There's a shot. Is this the, is this the one where there's the shot of the, the gas thing coming down yeah, over yeah. the lens of the camera, which is a yep. great creepy shot. Yep. Um, and then, yeah. And this is, it's like the first time he's seen her, she's unconscious and vulnerable on this table and you get this look in his eyes and you're like, Oh, okay. Well, we know where this is going. So really quick scene ahead. It's actually a fast forward about a month. So we're back at Volan's house and the scene, first scene of the shot is Jean, almost fully recovered, um, looking very beautiful in a nice dress, sitting on Volan's couch. Volan's playing the piano. And it sounds like they, she's just over just visiting. I don't know if it's like you know, he was just checking up on her or whatever. They, it seems like they've become kind of friends. I mean, he's, we'll get into yeah. it, but Volan's certainly getting infatuated with her. But it seemed like this was just her stopping in, you know, really quick checkup and just hanging out in a very friendly way you know, friendly way. And, you know, clearly, obviously, Ballin is becoming obsessed with her at this point. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in, in the way that, you know, after a successful operation, you go to your doctor's house and an evening gown and listen to him play the organ, right? I mean, this is of course. what we all do, right? <laughs> it does seem, I mean, I, I, I don't, 
I don't want to get myself into trouble here, but it does seem like Jean has developed a certain fixation with with Valen. I don't think it's physical. I think I think they have made some kind of uh, mental or, or spiritual connection. And I think it's a lot probably psychologically, it's a lot tied into the fact that he did by all accounts, save her life. And she acknowledges that he is, he does come off as almost more, more than a man. I mean, there's, there's dialogue that specifically says that kind of thing that, uh, that he, you know, more like a God almost than a man. Right. Um, yeah, I agree. And, it's not romantic. It's like, to yeah, he's, she's just enamored. I mean, somebody this enamored is a good word. Yeah. Yeah. Bigger than life guy saved her life. Yeah. And you know, she's a young girl and, you know, obviously and she mentions her, you know, fiance, Jerry and, everything but yeah there's definitely a you know a connection here well you know she's a younger woman and he's he's significantly older enough a man that i don't think in her mind there's any possibility that they would be a romantic couple but but of course you know his mind has already gone there for long before that's why you have this I mean, it's funny. It's like it's like a record scratch moment where he, he, Lugosi finally decides to sort of make a move on her, and she's like, "Well, wait, wait, wait! I'm engaged to Jerry, your right. your pupil. What are you talking? You know, your student. What are you talking about?" And Lugosi's like, "Oh, well, yeah, you can, you can." So he kind of plays it off. He's like, "Oh, of course, no problem. <laughs> it's no big deal." <laughs> and you know, it's not no big deal. Well, he, yeah, she. I think he mentions a line. You know, you've gotten into my brain, as yeah. he's like, he's you know, he's clasping her her shoulders, and she's trying to kind of bid farewell. And he's like, you know, Jane, you've gotten into my brain i i mean throughout the movie i think some of the fun of it is that as a as a viewer you're watching it and dr Valen from the beginning is obviously insane there's not even there's no while none of the other characters seem to be able to get it and they i guess they think he's eccentric they think he's you know they, there's a lot of lines of, that, that dismiss you know his his megalomania as a viewer watching this especially you know you know latter 20th century early 21st century there's no doubt that Lugosi's a psychopath I mean, there's not even, it, it's like he's wearing up like one of those, hello, my name is psychopath badges, right? <laughs> so the fun of it is is watching these characters slowly start going, you know what? I think there's something wrong with this guy. Right. Hide it. It's a psychopath hiding under the guise of yeah. this respected doctor, which he yeah. is. And but- to his credit, Judge Thatcher, who probably deals with crazy, you know, psychopaths and, and evil people to some degree, Thatcher does see it right away, but everyone poo-poos him. So we learned during the scene with Valen and Jean that she's a dancer, had, you know, was a dancer, obviously right. had this this awful injury. And now because of Valen's work and bringing her back to health, she's now able to dance again. So has this, I don't know, it's a dance, not a recital, but I guess, you know, she's putting on a, yeah. a program that Valen has been asked to attend. So, you know, the parting words as she leaves the house is, you know, you're going to come and see me dance tomorrow night. And he says, you know, nothing could keep me away. Yeah. So the next scene is it's, it's relatively quick. So she's dancing to a reciting of, of the Poe poem with, you know, a really nice little musical number. And, you know, Valen's sitting next to uh, Judge Thatcher and he's just like forming at the mouth, all excited. I mean, it's not only he's listening to Poe, but listening to this, be- you know, his beautiful Jane dancing to Poe. So these two things yes. that he is just obsessed with he's, he's now rather now coming together. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's obviously kind of aroused. Yes. Uh, and, and, and like a true, the thing I love about look at, and this is what works for, for Dracula too. And all these kind of characters is Lugosi himself as a, as a, as a person, as a, his stature and his, his stance and his, his diction and everything. He's so, he's so damn eloquent that like a perfect psychopath fallen can switch in and out of this. Like the scene we're just talking about where he's, you know, he's, he's stopped or he, his, his advances are rebuffed. And there's a moment where you see the dangerous guy in there 
And then he switches it off and is totally suave and polite and, and courtly again, just like, you know, he, it's like, a, it's like a double identity. He, he can put the, the mask can come down and he's this elegant gentleman and we, that we see throughout the film. And it's only in these moments where he feels like he can let the, the true face come out. And, and we see that again. And after the dance, they all go back to Jean's uh, dressing room and, and there's a conversation and, and Lugosi and Jean are talking and, and right in the middle, it's a profile shot there, you know, on either side of the frame and right in the middle of Josh Thatcher looking back and forth at them and his face is just getting more and more concerned. Yeah. The creepy meter went up to like 12 in Jean's dressing room. And um, <laughs> like, yeah, oh, he's, so, I mean, with, without any doubt, you know, as, as Judge Thatcher is watching the interplay between Ballin and Jean, that there's probably a problem. Like, again, she's engaged to young Jerry and they're going to make a you know cute couple and you have this older, you know, aristocratic, quote unquote, psychopath kind of moving yeah. in on his daughter. So like any like any dad would do. Right. Um, wants her, you know, he, she has a little uh, sidebar between Judge and, and Jerry and Jean saying, you know, something's a little off with Ballin. Just I want you to just be careful and, you know, stay away and, and yeah. whatnot. So, you know, I think the judge is as yeah. controlling as he is. I think he's not wrong about wanting to, you know, keep Jerry and Jean away from. Yeah. Away from Ballin. And this this precipitates his second unannounced visit to Ballin's house where now he 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 really lays it on the line and he noticed something last night earlier and it was confirmed last night when he talked to Jean that she is she is in fact dangerously close to falling for Dr. Ballin her her emotions are a bit conflicted and and he's like well obviously we can't have that happen right because look at you right (laughs) and Ballin's really doesn't take it uh very kindly yeah, no, that's kind of a smack against his manhood and, um, you yeah. know, certainly his ego. Like, you know, he's, right. you know, Vaughn's another one like Thatcher. He's not used to being told no. And, and he yeah. has another man telling him that he can't have the girl that he desires, the woman that he desires, like Poe and, uh, you know, the lost Lenore, which they, you know, kind of interplayed throughout the movie here. Yes. Yeah. Vaughn is, is not, not too happy about that. So they have an extremely tense back and forth conversation. And, you know, Thatcher literally comes out and calls him, calls him mad. Says, yeah, I you're can't crazy. Talk to yeah. You. You're right. I can't talk to you when you're mad. And as Thatcher's leaving, Vaughn shouts out, send her to me, Thatcher. Send her to me. What I know, I know. And and you can you do see the like there's this sort of alternate reality part of the film where what if what if possibly Gene did fall in love with Vaughn? And what if they possibly did get together? And what if somehow that tempered the the dangerous side of him and Maybe everything works out well for everybody. Then maybe he he dismantles all the torture devices and puts you know foosball machines in or something, right? Um, <laughs> Get a pack uh, machine, yeah, yeah. But of course, it, yeah, exactly. And like a little arcade down there. But of course, oh. you know, it's it's not to be. And the the re- rebuff of of Judge Thatcher just keeps propelling uh, Volin closer and closer to whatever. Is this the point where where uh, Boris starts showing up in the film? So yeah, we meet Kala for the first time. He's sitting in, oh, it's a restaurant or a cafe. So he's at a table discussing something with another man. So we get to learn that um, Edward Bateman is he's a wanted criminal. He escaped from San Quentin, tried to rob a bank and, you know, kill or put a, a, a torch into a guard's face. And just yeah. so he's on the run. Bateman is on the run. So his quote unquote friend um, recommends that he sees Vaughn. He's looking for, you know, to change his face, find a permanently change his appearance to to get the, the police off of his his trail. Right. right. So, he's, he's grown a beard and, and we get to see, you know, there's these little moments of like where, 
Jack Pierce, who's so known for these, you know, more, you know, extreme makeups, Frankenstein and the Wolfman. We could see Jack Pierce, like, or one of his assistants or somebody at least um, in his studio, put a fake beard on Karloff and, and watching actually for the first time in like full, full, uh, you know, HD, I was like, that's a really convincing beard. I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. it sort of, it sort of starts gradually and gets thicker, you know, the way, you know, some guys beards grow like mine grows and stuff. It doesn't, it doesn't look the slice bit fake. And it looks like it matches Karloff's if, if Karloff had just really, I, I don't think he grew a beard. There's no, I don't think there's any, he did like six movies this year. I don't think he had time to grow a beard, but, uh, but yeah, it's, so it's, it's just neat. So yeah, he's got the slouch cap hunkered down and stuff and he's walking and he's trying to avoid, you know, looking at policemen and stuff. And, and this is, I like the, um, I like the Bateman character pre meeting Valen in this movie. I kind of wish someone had gone back and done like an Edward ba- Edmund Bateman, like prequel mm. of just, it's just Karloff doing this like real low, uh, end, uh, British accent. Like you won't, I won't, you should, you should fix my face, you know? And, exactly, uh, the, exactly what Claude Rains used to sound like before he went to acting. School. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he's really doing this, this, this not ignorant accent, but just it's not a refined accent. Right. Um, and he's slouched and he's, you know, whatever. And then you, you know, like he's, you know, the, the difference and we'll get into this more, I guess, is like, you know, the difference between uh, Bateman and, and Volland in this movie is like, like Bateman's a guy who has done awful things he's been kind of driven to them. You get the feeling like his life has not been happy. His life has been, you know, had a lot of setbacks and stuff. And he's, he's, it's made him mean. We talk about the way he looks and, and stuff uh, as we get into the film. Valen is a guy who, as far as we know, hasn't done awful things to anybody yet, but wants to. <laughs> um, uh, Bateman doesn't want to do these things. He's just, uh, he's, he's trapped in this circumstance and has made poor choices and stuff. So it's, it's an interesting setup of like, they're both bad guys in this movie. And it's what makes uh, Karloff a little more sympathetic and Valen less sympathetic. There is their choices and intent. No, you put it well. I mean, the minute you see Bateman, you just feel, you know, somebody that's had a long life. He's tired and, you know, he's scared and, you know, he's just, he's desperate at this point. So, you know, he has a great little scene as he leaves the cafe to go to um, Valen's house that he sees policeman. And of course, you know, kind of puts his head down over his eyes, you know, peeks into a, 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 you know, just kind of ducks down into the corner of a building and no, no offense, but really conspicuous. Like, like, <laughs> like, like, I, I mean, I feel like when cops, if a cop sees you and you instantly turn your face away and hide in a, in a doorway, that cop's going to notice you. Yeah. He's doing. not hiding in plain sight. Like you probably should be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You should just keep walking, keep your eyes straight, you mm-hmm. know, pretend you're looking for the store you're going to or something like that. But anyway, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. So it goes to um, Valen's house, knocks on the door and it's funny. Valen's manservant guy, yeah, yeah, manservant, you know, wasn't going to let him in. And I mean, he just looks all, you know, Bateman looks just disheveled. And um, so Valen's in the hallway and, you know, it says, no, no, you know, let him come in. And they, you know, kind of disappear into Valen's study and Valen knows exactly who he is. He's been reading the paper and says, oh, you're Edward Bateman. So immediately you could just see the gears in his head, you know, start turning that. All right. Now he's got this fugitive that wants something. He wants, he's, you know, basically pleading from to Valen to help him change his face. And, you know, it gets to the point where Bateman pulls out a gun. And I don't know why yeah. you would, why you would threaten somebody with a gun if you know that they're going to put you under sedation. And, <laughs> well, I, I, I guess I was going to say this a minute or two ago, and I, it seems possible that Edmund Bateman is not a very good criminal. Um, I mean, he's already, he obviously got caught and True. sent to prison and stuff like that. Maybe he doesn't, he doesn't really think he doesn't game things out. Uh, I don't think he, his character has that capability 
of looking in the future and trying to figure out possibilities of what if I do this, this happens. As opposed to Valen, who the minute he sees Bayman and recognizes him, his plan is already fully formed in his mind. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this to this guy. I'm gonna make him help me. We're gonna do this together and stuff like that. Like the the gears in Valen's head turn so quickly that it it's almost instantaneous. And he's now it's just a matter of him manipulating Bayman to where he wants him. Yeah, you would think he was almost he had this plan in place. You know, like you said, everything was was ready to go. And this would, and my assumption was Valen would have done everything that we're about to talk about without Bateman's help. But the minute Bateman now went to the equation, you get to see now, you know, Valen on almost cruise control, fast forwarding, like, all right, this was the last piece I needed. So now, now we're going to go ahead and do this. Like it, like, like he's, he was just earlier. He was sitting there thinking like drinking coffee and thinking if, if only an escaped murderer who needs his face fixed would show up in my house. Everything would be, what the heck? (laughs) (laughs) Knock, knock, knock. Oh, hey. (laughs) (laughs) I know you, you're an escape murderer. That's weird. So it's it's a it's a good moment, yeah. And and Bayman tries to threaten them, and and I love Lagosi. Just looks at the gun. He's like, "You don't need that. Come on, right? Put the gun away. Stupid. What are you doing? That's childish." Uh, he sees he sees Bayman as Bayman's uh, danger. The side of Bayman that's dangerous. He sees it almost as as cute compared to like what he what Valen wants to do. Like Valen's Valen's evil schemes are you know are so monumentally bigger and eviler than than what Bayman wants. Right. Um, you got this petty crook who's, you know, like to your he, point, he's not yeah, even he's, good at he it. He sees a guy he can manipulate. Yes, exactly. So, you know, ultimately they come to a deal that Valen says to him, well, I'm not a plastic surgeon, but I can do things. I can manipulate going back to, again, the nerves in your, your neck and your face to change your appearance. And then there's a cool, Koloff does a really nice little acting piece here where he says, you know, you know, Doc, you know, I've been, you know, ugly my whole life. And, you know, yeah. because of that, yeah. it makes me mean and it makes me angry right. and violent and everything. And, you know, Vaughn hears this and it's like, ah, Eureka, I have a plan. So <laughs> ugly people do ugly things. This is what we're talking about, about Lugosi's bedside manner, where he's Bayman saying all this and he's got this line. He's like, why are you telling me this? I'm not interested in your life story. <laughs> he's, just, he's, he's got like the worst bedside manner. <laughs> And you can see, again, you can see the going away party uh, when he leaves the hospital. Um, But then, but then when Bayman talks more, he he stops and he's like, you are saying something profound. Yeah. Like he's, this now is affecting his plan. He's like, okay, he's adapting. I think he had the bar said very, very low for Bateman, but he's like, whoa, Bateman, you just said something that's, you know, kind of useful and wow, I didn't think about that. So maybe, yeah. And so now. I mean, I don't know what his original plan to help Bateman was. I mean, I, I think he was maybe just going to help ba- change Bateman's face in a lateral way, just make him different. Maybe not prettier, but at least just different. Now that Bateman's saying, I do bad things because I look ugly, uh, Car- uh, sorry, Valen's uh, brain is starting to go like, well, if I want to do really, really awful things, how ugly do I make them? And maybe, you know again like have have more manipulative control over him and stuff so so yeah so he leads him down into his um again it's he's got the secret passage in his office just like Carradine and captive wild woman and you know dr frankenstein always has the secret pat the secret panel that, that his book of life and death is in you know you wonder who builds these places right because dr volan's not an architect right i mean i mean this is he had right to hire I- somebody to do this for him to yeah. some degree I mean, you think of like, you know, probably a more well-known film, Young Frankenstein, where, you know, it takes the candle out and the the whole bookshelf, you know, rotates. That's what Lugosi has in his office. It's so neat. He's got a little button, you know, under his desk, hits a button and this whole bookshelf just turns like 
is is it possible well, now we, we always talk years. about yeah we always talk about young, we, we always end up back at young frankenstein is it, is it oh. possible to see a scene with a revolving bookcase like that and not <laughs> go to to gene wilder stuck in, in just, with the candle back exactly as i kept saying that to myself as i'm watching the, you know him and bateman go through the going through the wall it's like put the candle and back the, that's the all candle i can think back. of <laughs> um yeah so uh they go down and so lugosi has a like an operating theater in his basement in part of his basement obviously uh that i i guess it's adjacent to the torture chamber because everyone goes that same direction when they go down to to you know later in the film but he's got a table set up with all the medical stuff and everything like that and he's got sheets surrounding the uh you know hanging hanging drapes i should say you know surrounding the the theater and he brings Bayman in and he says he's going to do an operation and he's going to work on like, again, it's this medical jumbo, like the seventh cranial nerve or something like that that controls the muscles of the face, right? Nothing about glands. Usually nothing I'm, about for once, nothing about glands. Yeah, I was hoping to hit glands and that way my mind <laughs> yeah. could just gloss over and be like, yeah, whatever. But yes, yeah, mumbo jumbo. There'll be three movies in a row that we got to talk about glands, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, some medical mumbo jumbo that he's going to do something to change his face. So super quick cut scene of, you know, now Bateman with half of his face covered up and, you know, it's kind of similar to like mummy, mummy type wrapping. Yeah. Beard is gone that we can tell. And, you know, Vaughn comes out and starts unwrapping Bateman's face. And of course it's that the huge reveal similar to yeah. like a, you know, a Phantom of the Opera that the whole right side of Bateman's face is distorted. It's almost uh, almost like stroke-like. Um, right. Like, yeah, it's like it's palsied or something. Um, uh, this idea that I, I think Lugosi just, instead of affecting the nerve, he just sort of cut the nerve or something. So all right. the muscles and everything on the right side of his face has just fallen and his eye has drooped down and sagged and his, his lip excuse me hangs hangs on one side and stuff if if jack if, if it was personally jack pierce overseeing this this particular makeup which i got i get the feeling maybe it wasn't i get the feeling it was his maybe an assistant or something like that because it's i gotta say it's not really up to jack pierce's standards to some degree <laughs> the the I, eyeball is pretty rough looking yeah uh, the, the skin i thought was really good i mean it's like it reminded me of like imhotep from the mummy yeah, it yeah blends you're right well. that that eye is not jack pierce's there, there's there's something wonky about it uh yep. there's definitely an uncanny valley thing going on there um but it 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 look it's it's 1935 let's not you know go crazy about this it and stuff is. like that the, the 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 thing i'll say is is that karloff sells it uh he 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 affects uh the the kind of lisp because his his you know corner of his mouth is hanging down and stuff and i love his moment where he wakes up he's like it's hard to talk you know Right. There's something wrong with my eye. And he wants to yeah. see himself. He asks for the mirror and Vaughn leaves the room, locks the door. And, you know, as Jim on purpose had mentioned all the drapes across the walls. Right. Well, now, all of a sudden, all the drapes rise and Bateman jumps up from the table in his mirrors. It's like, you know, enter the dragon. It is. Both yeah. About Bruce Lee fans. Yeah, he's it's confronted dragon, with multiple images of his right. own hideousness. Right, right. And he just, of course, freaks out and he pulls out a gun. Bateman pulls out a gun. He starts shooting the mirrors and above, you know, almost out of the uh, say the roof, but it's like the ceiling, there's a little panel that opens up and it's Vaughn. He's just laughing hysterically. He's laughing at him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it. I mean, he's really committed medical malfeasance of the worst thing. I mean, he's, he's intentionally mutilated another a, a human being. I mean, it's it shows that the the callousness of and, and amorality of, of the character, you know, I mean, he he in order to get what he wants, he's willing to ruin somebody's face, which is which is awful. 
there's a great moment at the end of this, uh, and and Scott, I'm sure you you you've caught it every time where you know he throws the gun and he shakes his fist and he's like, Arr! and oh. there there's a I mean it is full on like he Karloff makes a Frankenstein noise as another character in this, and you're just like, wow, it, it shocks you out of the movie, but you're also like, oh, that's so yeah, it's right out of the. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's, it's, that it's, is it's, monster dialogue. Just that it's growl. The fi- it's the fire bad growl. I mean, right, right. <laughs> yeah. um, I spent a Halloween out. dressed up as a monster making Frankenstein noises one night. And I, I got to say the next day, I had no voice left. I d- Doing the all night long will absolutely destroy vocal cords. And I don't know how Karloff did it. So that wasn't by accident. I would think I, you, you you wonder about that. You wonder if if it I, I don't think it's a dub. I don't think it's possible oh, that he man. didn't make any any noise on that moment when he shook his fist and someone later on goes, you know, we kind of need something for that. And they're like, what do we have of Karloff making angry noises? And they go, wait a second, Jim, you might be dead on. I, I think it's that, a, I think it's a dub. I it actually sounds think it's that much like the monster. I bet you're yeah. absolutely right. And I just don't think he's, he's a very conscientious actor. And I don't think he's going to mix the two characters like that. So my, my guess is it's a, it's a editorial decision to just, well, we'll throw in a grunt there. No, one will, no, no, will recognize it. Right. <laughs> that's fantastic and it's famous i I think you're absolutely right that makes a lot of sense and yeah i mean god that's something i want to note down now and kind of do a little bit more research on. it's got to be a gym 11th hour fix i think yeah i think you're dead on ballin then maps out the the his plan he's like okay you're gonna you know he 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 comes back in the room this time he's got like a huge revolver like a webley or something he's got like a like a service revolver pointing it at bayman and he's saying okay so here's the deal. Uh, you're going to be my servant. You're going to help me. I'm throwing a dinner party. You're going to help me with some stuff. He doesn't specify, um, but he has already mentioned that, that torture and murder are going to be part of it. And then I'll fix your face and, and, and you can go on your way. So he's really just requiring, uh, you know, 24 hour, 48 hours worth of service from this guy. And he will uh, restore him in a way that he almost says, like, I'll make you beautiful. I, I don't care. Like, you know, it doesn't matter to me. Sure, it's, it's all the same, but I I need you to help me do this because he's he's dismissing his regular manservant, who you get the feeling might go to the cops if if <laughs> if he found out his boss was torturing uh, people. I don't Probably. know. Um, yeah, so he need he needs a he needs a an assistant, and there's no hunchback around, right? So he's got, <laughs> male he's, or female. Yeah, yep. he's, he has to sort of make his own hunchback, so to speak. Yeah, again, um, he never really seems to have. And again, I'm just maybe I'm. Uh, um overthinking this but he never really seems to have a, a specific plan for bateman like i think bateman basically you know keeps asking him what do you want me to do and, and yeah. volan's like well well you know i'll, I'll let you know later i don't even yeah. know if volan has being you know just the the genius that he is i'm sure he's got everything mapped out but for whatever reason he's not maybe he just doesn't want to let let bateman in on the surprise he doesn't want to yeah. you know, show his cards too early yeah, I, I mean, mostly he just needs a wingman for for what he's planning here, uh, yeah. which is which is going to be honestly the world's worst dinner party ever uh, to, to get invited to. But I also, I think, you know, he he's going to use Bateman to do some of the dirty work. Ba- Bateman's going to pick people up and carry them downstairs and and just do some of the physical, you know, labor. Uh, right. I, I think that that's his plan. Uh, Volan doesn't think he should get his hands dirty with all the little junky stuff the details he's 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 more about the big plan there you go that makes a lot of sense maybe so, you know this is probably you know right around the end of i'll say act one um as volan and bateman await the dinner guests so yeah volan has sent out dinner invitations to gene to jerry to judge thatcher and the rest movie from here on moves pretty darn quickly so 
you know, we'll, we'll take our time. So Jerry and Gene received the invitation. And despite the warnings of Judge Thatcher, Gene and Jerry decide to go, to go to New Orleans House for this weekend party. Yeah. And they leave, they leave a note for Judge Thatcher saying, you know, dad, this is where we went. We hope you can join us. And, you know, ultimately the judge does more for the, he just wants to, you know, for the fact that he wants to protect Gene. He, he he, yeah. He's going to just try and talk some sense in, into the, these young folks and stuff. And on the drive there, Gene and Jerry are talking and he, she's like, you know, I think, I think, you know, Dr. Vaughn kind of has a thing for me, which it's pretty obvious Dr. Vaughn has a thing right. for her. I, I think she's teasing Jerry and Jerry's like, we're not going to get into that. Um, <laughs> um, it's funny, Jerry's okay. So we, when we talk about the, the impotent protagonist, not to, not to name any names, but but you know the Harker character in Dracula, the the uh, C. Johan's lover in uh, in Mummy. Jerry's not Jerry's actually pretty capable. He's not quite he's not a, he's not an action hero by any chance, but he's pretty capable. But it's funny that he's he's flip flopped because in in Werewolf of London he's sort of the homewrecker uh, of of the trio, right. like he's the one right. sort of making moves on on another man's wife. And in this one, he the the tables are turned, and he's he's got the fiance. The, the boogeyman guy is is sort of making moves on on himself and stuff but yeah, but we, i do i like jerry in this film i like him a lot better than you know than in werewolf of london i agree yeah i mean it's just for whatever yeah, reason he's a bit of a happened. tool in werewolf of london he's, he's he's good in this and and it's and this is only this is the same year right um same year. yeah i'm, I'm i yeah. don't know off the top of my head which one filmed first but yeah um yeah so lester matthews um lester matthews. Jerry and, right yeah he's like he's likable too again I, it's funny watching this again i i how much less I like Judge Thatcher than I used to. He just comes off as maybe this is just me as an adult now. He just comes off as one of those like bossy old guys who you know thinks he can tell tell you what to do. And maybe my native punkiness re- resents that. But I do like Jerry, and Jerry seems to have usually have a plan of like what to do in any given situation, as we see later and stuff. So, but yeah, everyone comes over for the party, and they're doing kind of games. They're you know they're, they have like a horse race game thing going on. Yeah, it's probably about seven or eight different people at this party, and I mean the only ones that are really I think we need to even discuss it. You know, Jerry Jean and and the judge. So the yeah, judge comes yeah, in. There's like um, a colonel character yeah, and a colonel, his wife. Cu- right, there's another couple and kind of funny and 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 Pinky and and Pinky's wife. <laughs> um, and you don't know who these other people are. You, you don't know why if Lugosi's going to torture some of his house guests. Why did he invite just the other people? So it didn't seem as weird because he because he drugs the one cut family, the one couple. And, and, yeah. and, you know, spoilers, they sleep through the entire movie, which is honestly pretty funny. Um, right. I like, like the, the ending. They both movie. wake up like what just happened? Right, right, right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's yeah. If you think this, you know, what he has in the in his mind, what he wants to pull off. Yeah. Is going to take a lot of it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of right. you know, secrecy. So that, you know, fill your house full of other people that are not Gene and Jerry and Judge Thatcher. You yeah. think wouldn't be to his he wouldn't. He would yeah. yeah, you would think, but but he has definitely invited people in in this colonel character and and in Pinky. He's invited, shall we say, guys who aren't really going to be able to stand up to him too much. You know, they're not. He didn't invite like a football team. He invited some <laughs> slightly meek uh, type guys, some some milk toasts, shall we say? And, there you go. In the in the period vernacular. So yeah, they're playing these games, and then and you know, in the middle of it. Karloff shows up in in his in you know in his butler outfit now. So now he's now he's wearing like an evening suit. All right, he's like lurch. <laughs> he's got this mutilated face, and he uh, he 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 causes some alarm with the the house guests. I think it's Pinky and the wife are you know trying to have a cocktail, and Bateman kind of walks up behind them, and Pinky's yeah. like, hey, "Good man, just get you know, please go away. You're bothering Don't me. Stand Don't stand behind people." 
um yeah i mean it, it is sort of like you're at a party and 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 the butler shows up and it's frankenstein i mean you know, right, the, right. I mean, it's, it's a little and then gene has gone upstairs to fix uh like a there's a silly excuse for a, a thing where the ribbon in her hair uh, jerry messes it up and she's like, oh, i have to go fix my hair i'm a mess and she's obviously fine but she runs up and again in a in a smashing vera west gown for this party by the way she spends the rest of this in in this amazing this party in, the, in this uh, great uh evening glittering evening gown with a sash in the middle and stuff goes up to fix it and Bateman kind of comes in the room behind her and she sees in the mirror and and this is if the film has one like actual scare moment it's a great moment where she can see him in the mirror and you're like ah I can imagine yeah, how creepy I mean, that would be let's out this huge shriek like you said yeah totally expecting to see this deformed man just staring at her totally unannounced so yeah I mean screams and runs downstairs and um, yeah, Valen and all the guests kind of collect on the couch, and there's a really nice scene where you can kind of see, you can kind of get more of a, you know, kind of a window into to Valen's madness. So he goes. It's a quick, quick little blurb about you know how he found Bateman that he was in the yeah. war and was disfigured, and so they're sitting on the couch, and then um, after he goes into the whole Bateman spiel, starts talking a lot about Poe and says you know what a man of genius he was. But, you know, with Poe, he was denied his great love. And because of right. that, he went mad or you know, he has the potential yeah. of going mad. So, again, all these parallels. And you have to remember, Judge Thatcher is sitting there watching and listening very, very closely. So like, now why are we here? Right. Well, so <laughs> now it's not Valen playing horsey games anymore and, and making drinks. Now he's talking about death and torture and going mad. Yeah. And, you know, the, the switch is flipped. Yeah. Yeah. Totally flipped. And within a second, then he's back to just being hospitable Valen. And he's he's so damn charming. And Lugosi's so I think there's a like like you watch a film like this and and you and not to slight any other actors, um, because because everyone in this film is is really is really uh perfectly cast and 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 does a great gig. Lugosi's so powerful that you kind of can't focus on anything except him in a scene when he's in the scene. And he dominates it. And it's only someone almost as big as him, like Karloff, like big performance wise, I, I, I mean, that, that can share a screen with him on, on kind of even billing. And you're not, you're, your eyes and just drawn to Lugosi. There, there's all these scenes in the film where Lugosi's talking and it's the, ca- the camera's over his shoulder. You're not actually seeing his face. Um, even up to the finale, he has whole lines that are delivered away from camera. And you're just, you're basically staring at the back of his head and you see part of his ear. And it doesn't matter because he's still just, draws your your attention to the to the deficit of, of everybody else he's so good and and again it's so suave how he he goes back and forth from this you know the jovial guy hosting the party and playing these stupid you know uh, uh horsey game things being convivial then he gets into his little thing about poe and i think he realizes that he's started to creep everybody out a little bit and he's he's you feel like he's practiced at this he he knows when he's gone too far and he knows when to dial it back so he can like you see in the in, in inside Ballin's brain, there's this like, like, OK, act like a person again, act like a person. again. So, yeah, I've often wondered my question has been with this film, why have, you know, a larger cast? I mean, clearly it's Jerry, Jean and Judge who are the more important ones. But I'm I'm often wondering as I'm rethinking the scene in my mind with Lugosi holding court on this couch and there's so many like these other just milk toast boring yeah. people i think probably lugosi playing off people that are so meek and mild and boring just elevates right. his madness you know he's from a, from the viewer like if you have nothing to compare him to you can say oh yeah he's crazy but if you've if you've got three four you know six seven people 
behaving a certain way, and then you've got Lugosi losing his mind. To right. me, maybe again, maybe that's just that's why. So, like, just, maybe, just by comparison, you exactly. really see how how eccentric and extreme he is, and and right. and then the other people's faces, and and they do they provide a little bit of comic relief. Both these other uh, couples in in being so goofy and and the wives are silly and and you know always always asking me for you know advice and stuff and then so 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 there's a moment where they all decide to go to bed suddenly pretty early on i guess in the party um so i guess it's supposed to be like one of these weekend parties where everyone comes over and spends spends a a day or two or possibly the week because all these people are people of of leisure (laughs) yeah right um and and uh the colonel guy there's a whole moment that i really enjoy that he's uh he's trying to get free medical advice from lugosi from from Dr. Volan and his wife's like, he's always trying to get free medical advice. And I can't, I can't remember the specifics of the, of the lines, but, but he, he says something and he, he's trying to be funny and, and make a joke and stuff. And Volan just at the end, Volan just is stop is staring at him. And it's like, he's staring like through his head. And, and there's right. a moment where it's like Volan can't even sum up the, the willpower to even pretend to be a normal person in this moment. He's just so right. He's got a plan. He's trying to, you know, enact and he's got all these, these stratagems. And this this weird little man is is just annoying. I mean, he just oh, he's the like guy down. At it. It's like looking and, at and the, guy just, the guy just shrivels. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, he can't even. You won't even. He doesn't even smirk. Like trying to be a good host. Yeah. I mean, they go to these people visiting. You know, spending the weekend at your home. Yeah. You know, you just uh, you know give him a little giggle. Or I mean, Lagosi right. is pissed. He's like, you know, Aunt, go back to bed. So even like, you know, is, like how, is sharing our sentiment where he's like, why did I invite these people? Right. It's like Dracula when he's looking at another human being. It's like food. Like you yeah, know. yeah, exactly. He looks at him like a meal. I know. Yeah, and he starts seeing the madness and stuff. So um, right. So folks go to bed. Uh, Judge Thatcher, obviously, it, you know, once they get up, he's like, okay, now let's go home because because this guy he keeps using the phrase "stark staring mad," and I've I've you know you hear "stark raving mad" a lot, but he says "stark staring, staring. mad." He says it twice, and I. I've never heard the phrase elsewhere beyond this film. It's a neat phrase. I don't know if it was a favorite of the writer, a favorite of the director, or a favorite of Samuel Hines. I have no idea. But it's perfect but it's, it's because a- he's not, at this point, uh, you know, Volan isn't raving. It, it, it's the stare. It's like, you know, you just look it, at it's those It's the stare op- he just gave the colonel. So he is referring to this thing, like yeah. the, that thousand-year thing. When, when Volan is... Uh, Without the makeup, I just I keep interchanging Lugosi and Volan. There, again, as a character he's playing. I mean, obviously Lugosi was not a psychopath. He didn't like hurting people or anything like that, like Volan does. But the two, the two, uh, the 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 Venn diagram of Lugosi and and Volan definitely overlaps a little bit. You know, um, there's there's some there's some uh, some darkness and similarity between the two. Volan is trying to explain away uh, Bateman's deformity to his guests and dismiss, you know, their, their worries and fears about the guy. And he, you know, poor fella. Um, and he says, he served with me in the war. And I just like this moment where Lugosi, who was a veteran, a combat veteran of world war one gets to in this one and in the black cat, both, he gets to reference that a, a moment. Um, most, a lot of men in this era in 1935 would, have, uh, you know, in their 40s or 50s, would have served in the Great War in in the 19 teens, and and he uses that as an excuse of of you know, Bayman. Oh, he was he was. He says something like he was captured and tortured by Arabs or something. Yes. I can't remember what. Yeah, he was. exactly. But the combination of him, like for Volan to think of that as the excuse, and then Volan shows up in that basement room with 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 Bateman with like it looks like a to me like a Webley. It looks like a service revolver from the war, like a, a, a the Great War. It says to me that I think Volan was uh, was in combat. I think Volan and maybe possibly 
some of this psychosis or, or you know the sadism that that he has possibly is is he someone who has PTSD is he someone who saw horrible things is he saw, is he someone who had to do horrible things and it and it had a a, a long gestating negative effect in his brain. I don't know. I just want to, I forgot that bit. I want to get that in because I, I think it's an, just an interesting note. No, it's a wonderful thought. And yeah, that his mind goes right to the war. I mean, yeah. I guess it's, you know, it's, I mean, how do you explain it? Why somebody's deformed and there's only, you know, probably yeah. a few realistic ways. No, but I love that idea. I think that's makes yeah. a super, super point between the war. And like you said, his gun and, you know, was he, he might've been just a medical doctor in the war. I mean, who, who knows? But no, right. I, I love that backstory, Jim. And this whole thing where he says like death doesn't have the same meaning for me as you. And I think, and I'm, I would never connotate someone who's served in, in combat with, with this fallen character, who's an evil, you know, fiend, but there's this idea that, that someone who has seen things that other people have not seen and normal people are not going to be able to relate to what that person has experienced and stuff. And, and, you know, fallen obviously has decided that he, he exists on this higher thing anyway. Yeah. So, so uh, Thatcher <laughs> wants to leave. Thatcher grabs Jerry and Gene and yeah, they're talking in, in Gene's room and yeah, Thatcher's like, all right, that was fun. We played horsey. We, you know, had a couple of drinks. Let's go. Let's get the F out of here. This man is obviously insane. And, Pinky's annoying and he's the me. only one who's somehow figured it out. Right. The Colonel's a pain in the ass. Pinky's annoying. Let's just get out yeah. of here. Yeah. And um, they won't. I mean, at this point, I think we've got kind of a storm, you know, it's just started. So, you know, and again, Jerry and Gene are just poo-pooing it. It's like, you know, right. I don't know. I mean, Jerry again seemed for as proactive, and you know, he seems relatively sharp. How is he not missing that something is a little off with Volan? Well, we did have that reference where, where Jerry is Volan's assistant now. Uh, Gene thanks him for taking on Jerry as his apprentice or whatever uh, yeah. mentor or something like that. He's performing. He's his assistant. He somehow has something yeah. to do with Jerry's career. So you can see Jerry going like, "Well, I kind of don't want to leave right now because I kind of need this." You know. They also, I think, there's a. Uh, I mean, it's just a, I don't want to call it arrogance, but there's just a little bit of something like, no, he's just eccentric. He's, you know, think about, if you think about, you know, the judge is, is a legal mind, has a legal mind because of what his occupation, uh, Gene's a dancer, Gene's, Gene's an artist for all intents and purposes. And as an artist, you know, I, I can attest that you, you deal with all sorts of eccentric types and, and some of them are less socially adept than others. And I think Gene in her, looking at it through her world, view just sees Volan as this very eccentric guy and and doesn't see the the inherent danger that the judge who again has dealt with criminals for many years absolutely spots a million miles away uh coming right if you're a beautiful dancer and you know i'm sure you have you know dozens of men at the end of your of your show you know they fall in love with gene for five minutes and flirt and say you know little nothings and off they go so she thinks Volan's a harmless kook and that's you know but but also but also again you know there are she has strange mixed feelings for him because he did so so both gene and and jerry owe volan something and and it explains why they're loath to to uh skip out on just him ignore the ignore the obvious i guess or ignore yeah. you know and, but again jerry has a, has a good idea he's like well how about gene and i switch rooms because i i think thatcher's main worry he knows he knows volan is messed up mentally um and they can only obviously refer to this in in 1935. But I think his worry is that in the middle of the night, uh, Volan is going to come to Jean's room and and attempt some sort of, you know, sexual whatever with her. Sure. And and he's afraid of that. And he's he's worried about her being assaulted or being, you know, even whatever, uh, just molested. And so, you know, Jerry's like, well, let's switch rooms because there's no way Volan's coming into my room in the middle of the night. Probably not. And yeah. Uh, so Likely you know, not. You never know. 
you never know. Um, they change rooms and yeah, so Jerry, I'm sorry. Uh, so Gene is sleeping in what yeah. would have been Jerry's room. So we hear a full blown, you know, storm going on outside and a branch breaks off and goes through Jean's window. So she's right. abruptly styled awake from a sound sleep. And as she's looking around the room, you know, obviously scared, she sees this, you know, the floor panel opening <laughs> up and it's Bateman coming up through the floor. So I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it was a hell of a way to wake up. She's got, you know, she's in a nice, nice slumber and then smash crash the window and you've got Edward Bateman coming up through the floor. Yeah. So, so the plan with Jerry's plan, which which was a good plan, it's a good solution to, you know, uh, to make everyone, you know, feel better. It backfires because obviously Bateman, obviously part of the plan is for Bateman to go up and kidnap Jerry, who Lugosi probably sees as the only man physically able to cause him a problem in the in his uh, plans. We skip the scene where as the the everybody retires to go to bed, uh, Volan takes uh, Bateman down to his basement. And he and here's where we first get to see uh, Volan's collection of torture devices that are, well, they, they say inspired by Poe, as far as I can kind of tell with, I mean, I've, I've read a decent amount of Poe. The only one that seems actually fully inspired by Poe is is the the pit is the pendulum. They're not really in a pit. They're in, in a basement, I guess. The other ones where the walls come together and and uh, some of the other devices don't seem totally re- to reference any specific Poe torture device. Yeah, and, and Poe didn't really the- write a lot about torture devices. I mean, I mean, the pit and pendulum takes place in the Spanish Inquisition, so there are obviously torture devices. But correct, the torture devices that are really featured in the film. It's you know clearly the pendulum um, yeah. with Judge Thatcher and whatnot, and then obviously the feature, closing. Yeah. You know the the room that. That, but I mean to build all these things. I mean, I mean, he does have he has an elevator that lowers Gene's room from from upstairs down into the basement, which is just a remarkable architect. Yeah, we could probably get right into this, Jim, because it moves it moves pretty darn quick. Yeah, Gene calls Jerry. Jerry comes running in, and Gene's all messed up. She's like, "Someone's coming through the the floor," and he's like, "Well, I think the I think the branch came in through the window and scared you, and you probably were half asleep and you saw something." He he he. Again, dismisses the hysterical woman, right? Of right. course, just the woman of the, exactly the woman of the thirties. You know, yeah. oh, you just you you were overthinking. Oh, it's okay, things. honey. So, right. so, so, Jean now is going to go back into her original room. Jerry's going to, I, I just, I guess, stay up all night smoking in a room with uh, <laughs> with a broken window and rain coming in. Uh, but you know, he's a man, you can do that kind of thing in, in his in his robe and jammies. There's a there's a thing in in, in Jerry and in, in the. Scott, you're probably familiar. There's a thing in writing called the sympathetic fallacy, and it it has to do with the idea that the weather reflects the mood of what's happening. So as all this stuff is getting crazier and crazier uh, inside the house, we have this storm raging outside, and the and the wind blowing, and the lightning, and the and the thunder cracking, and, and branches obviously you know breaking windows and stuff, and it just sets this idea of like there's there's danger inside and there's danger outside, and I I think you could have done this movie and not had that storm happening and it would be fine. But that storm absolutely amplifies this idea of like, yes, they're trapped in the room in the house, but there's, there's also, it's dangerous outside too. We should probably. It makes um, it more claustrophobic. I mean, it, yeah, it, for it, sure. right from like old dark house. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's a very used trope obviously, but, but I, I do think it, it has, it, the, the weather plays a little bit of a character in this film, both from the storm with Jean's original crash. And then, and then this, there's like a nice, nice bookend. True. True. Yes. Yeah. So then, so now Judge Thatcher is kidnapped by Bateman. Actually, Bateman went up to um, Judge Thatcher's room and grabs him and runs down the stairs with uh, Thatcher. And, you know, right. when the judge is able to yell out, you know, Jerry, yeah. Jerry, and you know, yeah. Jerry hears him, comes running out. And yeah. a little bit of a foot chase with um, Bateman trying to get through that revolving young Frankenstein wall. <laughs> and Jerry 
kind of hot on his heels. You know, and he, almost, and he, he almost actually does pull a Gene Wilder and almost gets stuck as in the, in the thing as it closes. So we almost do have a put the candle back moment. So yeah, Bateman makes it through. And then J- as Jerry's about to go through the wall, Bateman kind of pops out and you just see like this, just this, this fist. When he pops him, yeah. Yeah. Pops him in the, the face and he's out cold. So Bateman now has Thatcher on, um, or brings him to the, the pendulum torture device, which is you right. know, how, happy is Volan that he finally has like his you know this guy that's been giving him all this agitator and torture quote unquote is now sitting on his pendulum finally that's that's right there's a there's a neat moment early just a little bit before this where Volan is giving Bateman like his orientation tour for the torture chamber he's explained this is this is the thing you know this is it's from Poe and stuff he's very proud of his machines um and he lays and he lays down on on the the thing itself and and lets and Bateman sort of like flips the switch and the manacles go over his arms and, and it traps Volan for a moment and he's like okay but who's going to fix your face now when when this thing slices me in half and and Bateman again who doesn't seem to possess the you know the the ability to strategize uh even in his own thing he, he obviously lets you know ball and go it's like okay well i guess you know, uh I'll, I'll play along with this for for long because bayman really i mean he he's doing this i say he can't strategize but he is he's going along with this with Volin because he needs fallen to fix him i mean he he's playing his own game right but he doesn't like Volin. he doesn't trust Volin. And I think I think even if Volan fixed his face, I get the feeling if, if he had the chance, Bateman would probably ruin Volan's face afterwards just just to get him back for for playing with him this much. But yeah, Bateman's not a not a good guy to mess around with. And we, we find that out. Yeah, no, and I don't think Volan ever would have fixed him. He probably would have killed him under sedation. And yeah, I was a little surprised. I mean, again, this is, you know, a movie and we need call off. We need Bateman to live. But you think somebody, you know. You know, you have Volan with this, you know, God complex and this, you know, incredible egomaniac type A getting yeah. locked into his own torture device, you know, just being absolutely emasculated by this Edward Bateman. And then yeah. once Bateman finally lets him off the table, he just kind of laughs it off. He's like, oh, Bateman, you, you know, you kid. Yeah. You, you know, you get the feeling he might. I mean, you wonder if 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 Volan did that on purpose, if he he seems to purposely put himself in a position where Bateman can trap him. And maybe he's doing it to maybe I'm overthinking it, but maybe he's doing it to to prove to Bateman like, no, 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 this this happens the way I want it to happen or or hmm. it doesn't, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't think. Look, I, I, I keep saying it. I, I don't think Volan. I don't think Volan's really afraid to die, though. I mean, he talks about how death isn't the same as him, and I don't think he's a guy like like fear does not enter into Volan's calculations at any point for himself or for obviously his career. Obviously, because like. What's going to happen if, if his plan goes perfectly? What's going to happen in a couple of days when somebody notices that this very esteemed judge, right, is, is is missing, and there's an invitation at his house saying we're going to 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 Doctor Volan's and stuff? I don't think it's that Volan hasn't gamed it out. I think it's that Volan is so caught up in this that he kind of doesn't care what happens after this. Um, this is Volan's kind of end game, I guess. I don't know. It's true. Yeah, I mean, he's the consummate chess player. So I don't think he's you know once he's God, you know, resolved himself of this torture once he's put everyone through these torture devices and, you know, almost, you know, cleanses himself of yeah. this pain and this, this anxiety right. feeling, you know, he probably really what's next for him. I don't think, I think you're right. I think that, you know, probably his final chapter in his mind was killing all these people Poe-esque yeah. and then, and then we'll figure it out. 
who knows he's going to, he's going to, I mean, he's a man of wealth, of wealth and means he's going to hop a steamer to Singapore and live there for a while. Or sure. who, who knows? Like he, <laughs> he, I'm saying like, yeah, he's probably, he probably has, has a, has a backup plan, but, um, but there's, there's, so, so he's got, uh, he's now got judge Thatcher on the rack there, uh, belted in and the pendulum starts swinging and Thatcher's looking up and Thatcher's freaking out in his, in his jammies. I just love that Thatcher's in his pajamas for this whole scene. I don't know why. It's um, such a great scene where it's, you know, you've got like the camera angle from Thatcher's view looking up yeah. at the pendulum swinging and it's just right, right, so right. cool. So cool. And, and he's got a great line where he's like, try to be sane, Valen. Right. <laughs> like, just pleading like, with him. You know, He's begging him, just try for one minute to yeah. not be a total crazy maniac. You can sympathize. You feel like in normal life, there's always moments where you just want to look at somebody and just like, could you, could you just try to be sane for him? Right. Normal people don't do this, Volan. Think with some clarity. You know, but we, you, you, you cannot do this. Right. And right. He's Volan is just so far gone at this point. You Volan know. Is, and 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 again, and Lucas, he has this great line where he's like, he he says, "I tear torture out of myself by torturing you." So right. right. Again, that's what we were saying before. We're like. Valen has some sort of torment going on in him, and I don't think it's just Gene. I like we said, like. It, it goes back further. Maybe it goes to the war. Maybe it goes to birth. Maybe, you know, maybe it's parents, maybe everything. I mean, Valen, there's something, and it, this is the, you know, typical makeup of, of, a, of a sadistic person is that, is that they hurt and they, so they want to hurt other people. And somehow in thinking that hurting other people, it's going to, it's going to make theirs lessen somehow, you know, again, like I, I, I said about a couple other movies, you know, you know, this, this film comes out right around a time where, where psychoanalysis and, and sort of post-Freud psychology is really popular among pop you know culture and, and american culture and stuff and, and you feel like the, the the idea behind this sort of touched just on sort of the surface of that idea didn't delve too deep but but just enough to give a rationalization of why this celebrated doctor just enjoys hurting people just that early seed of yeah, like you said, that just that evil, you know, the evils of psychiatry, the evils of yeah, it was just it was such an the, the darkness, yeah, yeah, darkness, yeah, yeah, yeah. such an unknown. Um, it wasn't looked upon by by doctors as a legitimate right therapy. And, and again, it, it's 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 like a lot of it's like the gland thing and everything else. It's, right. it's just it's just enough to give a character a rationalization. And in the hands of a lesser actor, this might come off dorky or. Or or far fetched or something, and Lugosi just manages to sell it through through his sheer uh, energy and 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 talent. Uh, so you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's just he's just crazy, and he likes torturing people. So okay. In one thing, again, going back, I mean, I've seen this movie quite a few times, but going back with the analytical hat, they've got some great one-liners in this movie. Mm -hmm. And we've already said most of them, but really, like, anyone going back to watch this for, you know, the first time or the hundredth time, listen to some of these one-liners, especially from Lugosi, man. They are fantastic. He he drops a few golden ones that that in in the... In the pantheon of great Lugosi lines, like Children of the Night. And this film never gets to the height of, of the maybe my favorite all-time Lugosi line, which is in, in Black Hat, when David Manor says, it sounds like a lot of supernatural baloney to me. And he says, supernatural perhaps, baloney perhaps not. And he says it is dead serious as anyone has ever said a line. And damn if, if Lugosi doesn't sell that the silliest line almost ever written in a film. You can hear Lugosi say the word baloney you're <laughs> you've been, you've, you might as well hit the lottery it's, 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 that's, it's, um, it's maybe my favorite line in, in any movie ever. that's a good um, one. Yeah. so uh yeah so uh he's he's got volunt or he's got judge thatcher there's a there's a switch they that lowers uh gene's room down into the the basement now uh, again which is an amazing feat of engineering 
this is what remind we get into this thing where it's it's less Poe and almost more Gaston LaRue's uh, mm-hmm. uh, Phantom of the Opera, where and we don't see we we have some of it in the um in the twenty five I think it is uh, you know Lon Chaney Senior version a lot a lot less of it in the Claude Rains version and, and other things, but the Phantom had created these these rooms all the, all down underneath the uh, Paris Opera House and the catacombs, full of these torture devices of rooms that got suddenly really hot. The the V count uh character who's you know who's uh Mary Philbin's lover is trying to rescue her down there and they're going through all these torture devices and stuff. And that's this sort of reminds me of that a little bit. Uh more than Poe, it's 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 just these uh crazy kind of rooms that that he's built somehow, I guess by himself. I don't know. Somehow, um, uh, I know he built to, all these torture devices. He's got a room that's basically an elevator. Yeah. Um just the engineering yeah. and the building right. I don't know if you got a building a building permit for that. But <laughs> yeah, did you need a permit for that? <laughs> then, then then you have to kill all the contractors who worked on it. You have to kill the, the, the city inspector who, who right. inspected it so no one remembers who did you did it all. <laughs> but that's a great scene where they're they're lowering a uh, gene wakes up as the room is lowering and the, the lamps are shaking and the, the bent the you know the blinds are, are swaying and stuff. And you can imagine waking up and that's happening. You're like, I'm obviously when you live in California, you wake up and that's happening, you know what's going on. You know, it, I was gonna say, did she think it was an earthquake? But then you know, the, those doors open and then she's in the basement in this torture chamber. I right. mean, imagine that, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. Poor, this poor woman like cannot sleep without like. Right. <laughs> no, <laughs> she's having a rough night again. Again, worst dinner party ever. Ever. Uh, so, so Jerry has uh, enlisted uh, Pinky and Pinky's wife's help to try, and, and he's trying to get through the bookcase to get down there, and he and he can't figure out how to do it. They've gone up and tried to wake the colonel and his wife. I'm not sure why, because I don't know what help they're going to be. Uh, because there's a scene earlier where, where he asked for a sleeping powder, and Lugosi brings him two. He brings one for his his wife too. So Lugosi just dopes those two up and and. Again, they they sleep through all, all the action. So if you think of the colonel and his wife, kind of like the Glenn Strange monster, a lot of laying around. They don't have a lot. <laughs> they that, don't have a lot. To, they don't have a lot to do. Yeah, <laughs> spend spend a lot of it horizontal. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how did Jerry and them? They they finally get through the door. The and how do they? They do. They pry it open, and then it's it see it happened really quickly. So uh-huh. Vaughn and Bateman are in the basement, and all of a sudden Jerry kind of comes, you know, rushing at them, and of course Bella. Oh my gosh! And <laughs> I keep I know I, I keep doing it too. Bella. It's really funny. Oh my gosh! And Vaughn has his his gun out, so he you know holds right. Jerry up and backs Jerry into the room with Gene. So basically, yeah. now they're trapped in this room. And he doesn't really, you don't really see what happens with Pinky and his wife. I think they just, they see Valen with the gun and they're just happy to stand way off to the side. Yeah, yeah. Really they're not gonna again. Um, and Valen, I mean, it's, some, it's horrifying what he say. He's like, you're going to be in this room forever. You're going to be in this room right. until you, you know, you, you starve and, and die and rot and, and you know, pretty, yeah, uh, pretty another, awful Again, stuff. another great line, like forever and ever. Yeah, and just, yeah. Oh, yeah. God. He just, he, his tongue just dances over these words. And yeah. so it's really, so they're there. Bateman, oh. who's hearing this, and and Bateman, who has because Jean has this nice moment after after he scares her originally in the beginning of the party, and she comes running down screaming and stuff. When they all go go up to bed before they go to bed, she comes up to Bateman and she says, "You know what? I'm sorry. I was scared. I I wouldn't have been. You just startled me." And and you feel like she's not trying to cover. She's she's sincere. She's she's not discriminated yeah, she- against this guy because he's got a, a physical deformity. Um, she she was just you know startled. Um, so she has this sweet scene with him, and and that begins this again again it's it's this perennial thing with these Lugosi and Karloff team ups where they're both kind of into the same young woman 
<laughs> yeah, well, this men. starts the redemption story of Bateman right after yeah. this conversation that, you know, I think he says to her, you know, he did this to me. Um, you know, yeah. this wasn't something that happened to me during the war. He, you yeah. know, yeah. he tortured me. He did this to me. Yeah. And then Jean, you know, does her best to try to sway him over to their side. Right. And at that point, so they're, you know, going back really quick, they're in Jean's the room. Um, and then Volan just, you know, starts yelling for Bateman. I don't think he knows where he is. And, you know, Bateman almost snaps back into reality and runs out of the room, shuts the door, and Gene again yeah. is trapped. And then he's back with, with Volan. And then at this point, Volan has that, really loses it, where he's like, you know, just delicious torture. And, you know, yes. he's, he's laughing hysterically. And, you know, Poe, you, you, you know, po, you are avenged. Oh, what, you what are delicious, avenged! Yeah, you're um, avenged. What delicious torture. Uh, I mean, just totally, yeah. totally nuts. Um, Something else I noticed... In, in this in this latest iteration I'm watching in Blu-ray is that unfortunately like it does seem like Lugosi had some issues with his teeth and when I look at a lot of stuff and and you know growing up in Hungary serving in a war being a poor poor person for many many years there's moments where his, when when his gums pull back and you're like oh geez wow they're they're dark and they're kind of messed up and stuff and and it's it's interesting that and I'm sure it's something he probably dealt with his whole life and he probably had a lot of problems and quite possibly pain involved with it. And it's but it's just interesting that this character who's if, if Dracula is famous for one thing, it's his, it's his fangs. Right. You know, key element of him. It's interesting that the Lugosi managed to go through all these movies and I've watched hundreds of them and never noticed that that. Yeah, the poor guy probably did have some real problems with his with his chompers there. Well, there's only so and, few scenes that he really like he's just like yelling and laughing out loud yeah. like he's almost he's always so stoic and dark right right and, so you never see him but now he's like ha, 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 and yeah. he's laughing maniacally and you're kind of like oh dude yeah um yeah poor guy uh yeah no it's just, just an interesting note i had um we talk about uh Karloff's back problems that he dealt with you know his whole life and lugosi obviously had other issues he, he'd been in the war he'd been injured and that's when they got him on the the dope and obviously, you know, which, which continued on throughout his uh, all too short life. The family opera thing is also like, there's this unrequited thing that the family has for Christine. Right. And, and that mirrors, you know, what's going on here with, with uh, uh, not just Fallen, but, but also with Bateman who, who is deformed as well. So Bateman has this kind of thing as well, like where he, you know, but this is what motivates this towards our ending where Bateman, you know, understands that, that, that Gene and, and I guess Jerry, he doesn't really care about Jerry, but, uh, is going to be trapped in, in forever and she's going to die. And he's like, no, no, no. And we have another, and I don't think this one's dubbed in where he's like, no, 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 no. And he, and he waves his hand in this way. Yep. It is full on Frankenstein monster. Oh like yeah. That moment, I like believe fire bad. he did. And it's great. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, well, it's right uh, before that, Jim. It's, it's so he's, so Volan thinks he's won. And, you know, he has that scene where he's yeah. laughing hysterically and, and says to Bateman, I know you've done nobly Bateman. I'll fix you. And, you know, he kind of yeah. touches his face. And yeah. Bateman, even after hearing this, he's, you know, he's constantly, you know, he's looking at Volan, but then we'll look up and he'll see the room of the closed door, knowing Gene and Jerry, especially Gene is about to get crushed and, and killed. Yeah. He says, you know, so what's going to happen to her? And Bateman- Oh, wait. So, yeah. So, so he puts him in the room and he's like, this is another opposed inventions, the room where the walls come together, which right. I, I don't know that one from Poe. I know that I know, I know boxing your, uh, your, your wife up in inside a wall. But and and the casket of Amontillado, but uh, but not this one. But that's okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The walls come together, and he and he's uh, Bayman is put in a position where he needs to make a decision, and he obviously has tender feelings for for Gene, and he has no tender feelings for Valen. <laughs> right. Maybe the first good act he's ever done in his life. He puts Gene yeah. ahead of himself, so goes over to this yeah. um, switchboard that has the switch to Gene's room, 
and puts his hands on the lever and Valen, you know, of course, pulls out the gun and says, if you, yeah. you know, touch that lever, I'm going to kill you. And, yeah. you know, Bateman kind of pauses for a second, thinks about it, and then releases the lever. So you see Gene's door yeah. now flying wide open. Jerry and Gene come out and Valen shoots Bateman. Right, right. And Bateman just doesn't care anymore. It's, it's okay. Then then you get this great moment where the two come together and Bateman and, and Valen are fighting. And Bateman, uh, one of them, yeah, I think Bateman does this great thing where he gets his Carl gets his palm underneath Lugosi's chin and yeah, pushes his pushes face up. And, yeah. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's like, it's like Kong versus Godzilla kind of, it's just these two Titans, uh, uh, you know, finally coming at it and clashing. This is our Frankenstein and, versus Dracula moment. Yeah. And you get the feeling that, that in this instance, uh, Valen is not as, as good at maybe hand to hand fisticuffs as Bateman. Bateman, obviously this is one chance where he has the upper hand, uh, literally, <laughs> and he he knocks you know he 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 dispatches a Valen and drags him into the the room that Gene and and Jerry were just in while Gene and Jerry uh, uh, go to try and rescue Judge Thatcher who and the you know the there's a great moment where they're trying to get to him and and Jerry has to get to his feet to get to the the switch and he's got to time it with the you know the pendulum's so low oh that it's gosh. at head height to him now and he's got to like wait okay hang on got got to get this one right and, but think about and, the just like the actor and trying to film this scene that thing is really swinging back and forth it's really swinging and even if they had made it out of something lightweight i i feel like you'd, you'd have a bad day if that thing had caught you absolutely um, yeah so so yeah uh and this is again like Jerry's pretty good. I, I as far as our, our universal, uh, the young protagonists in these things, uh, Jerry comports himself pr- pretty well. And, and he, this, uh, is, he this might be, get... the, I say this might be the start of the Screen Actors Guild. If yeah, right. <laughs> I mean it was Bellerin Boris, oh Boris yeah. Moore, exactly. Know, the way yeah. Zach, his actor friends were being treated, having to yeah. dodge his pendulum. He's like, dude, That's we right. gotta we gotta fix this. <laughs> this is not safe. This is not safe working <laughs> environment. And and again, Be- Bella and Boris were both. Uh, among the founding members of the Screen Actors Guild, by the way. Right. Um, uh, so they they rescue Judge Thatcher. Bayman gets gets Valen into this room, the room where the walls come together, just just in time to. And, and he, there's a great moment where where, where Valen wakes up and charges the door just as Bayman you know closes it. And you have a moment where he the, the walls come together and Lugosi's spinning around in total panic, trapped in this room. And and uh, it, I mean it's very arched and theatrical, but it's just a great moment. It's really it's yeah. Really he wild. seems to he seems to care about death now, like. He is it's now. true. This is true. I, at least like this, this type of death. I mean, maybe he's not afraid of just dying, but being crushed alive is possibly not what he had in mind. I just think being it, it's within his own, his own device. You know, yeah. I think that was it. I think you're absolutely yeah. right. I don't think he's got any yeah. concept of, you know, just, you know, life. And I think he's true, like life and death. It doesn't have the same right. significance, but I think being trapped in his own device and, you know, yeah, he doesn't deserve it, this, just, right? the, the irony of it is probably yeah. driving him even, you know, super mad. Yeah. And also his brand new theory is, has, has been exploded where, where if he thinking if Bateman's ugly, he'll do ugly things. And obviously that has proven to not be accurate. And if you remember, obviously Bateman has previously been shot. So yeah. all these yeah. scenes of him now dragging Ballin into the room yeah. Yeah. and then having to crawl back to the control panel, he is bleeding out. He's dying. Totally injured. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, really his last act on, on earth or alive was to flip that switch, lock Vaughn in the room, and as Vaughn is being crushed, Bateman dies. And they managed to get the judge out. And um, we have like a little denouement in this one, right? We actually, we actually do have the scene where they're driving. Yeah, I mean, we see. Yeah, the, the colonel and his wife are sleeping, snoring. So glad they they cut oh, right. to that. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> they missed the whole thing, which is yeah. I do find that really funny. 
Yeah, and the very last scene we see, you know, quite a few Universal movies. It's the you know the the man and the woman in the car driving off, and yeah. I always I oh my gosh, this line. So Gene says, "Oh, oh, poor." He looks at looks at Jerry, how sad and you know melancholy. Poor Bateman. And then Jerry looks at her and says, "Yep, he saved us from getting crushed, all right." <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Which which sets up the 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 I'm I'm planning on taking you home and doing a little crushing myself. Oh my god! I always it's like I roll my eyes, but I'm giggling at the same time. Corny, like, yeah, but, he saved us from getting but, crushed, all right. And then he calls. But they know, they do avoid the idea of them running away from the house just as it explodes or burns and stuff. And then that's true. There's no fire here. So we we do we do get a little button on the action uh, just a little bit. This, I mean, it, it's a, I do, in, in a balance of the two, I do tend towards Black Cat. It, it more hits some of my, my buns, but Raven is so much fun. And, and I don't, while Black Cat is based on a, a actual story of Poe's that it, that it diverges wildly from, of course, this one is, is just based on a poem and it does embrace at least the themes of the poem. And I mean, there's the bird element, of course, and then there's the lost love element. There's this, this unrequited thing. Uh, it's not like Lugosi has a lost love in his past, but in in the aspects of of Gene, you know, he has that. And and overall, it 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 evokes some of the, the again the torment, the 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 ennui or whatever of of Poe in in this character of Lugosi. So even though he's not playing Poe and he's not playing a Poe character, he does evoke a lot of the the same emotions and feelings that that a lot of Poe's writing. So so. I wouldn't call it a bad adaptation. I would call it just sort of a, an amalgam of more of the vibe of Poe than than the actual text. Yeah. And they say it, in, I mean, inspired by Poe. So yeah, this wasn't. Yeah, a, yeah. It's know. not like they're like, yeah, yeah. No. no. Line. Um, Again, uh, my thing is, is. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, Jim. No, and, and I agree with you. I think Black Cat overall is a much, I'll say much stronger film. It's a stronger film. But, I, you know, for me, this is just the ultimate geekdom that if you <laughs> love Frankenstein monster and Dracula and you want to see. Yeah. Similar characters getting together. I mean, Dracula and Volman, you know, certainly arguably, you know, besides being, you know, Dracula being vampiric, you know, very, yeah. very similar. Bateman, Frankenstein monster, you know, yeah. very similar parallels just to see that, you know, quote unquote, those monster mash WWF wrestling match. Right. To me, it, it hits that mark. It does. It's it's actually, you know, I said before, it's kind of like Dracula versus Frankenstein, but I realized it's actually kind of like Dr. Frankenstein versus Igor. This idea that 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 it, Lugosi as the mad scientist and then his his you know deformed assistant is is his is his uh, antagonist. So it's it's yeah, fun like that. I like um, that. It, this is I guess this is the, one of the films that set up the bad precedent where they they build Karloff over Lugosi in this, even though arguably Lugosi is the star of the film. He's in many more scenes than Karloff. I he's mean, really the antagonist of the movie. He's he's the villain. Karloff is sort of a secondary character. But because, um, you know, especially Bride of Frankenstein. So this did come out after Bride of Frankenstein. Bride of Frankenstein has come out and 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 Karloff, Boris Karloff has begun to be billed as just Karloff, which yep. is just the surname billing is is a big deal in Hollywood and, and, and especially was back then. So the film in all, in most of its advertisements, you know, Karloff and also Bella Lugosi starring in The Raven. And Lugosi was very resentful of that, rightfully so. I don't think that was fair. I don't think that was... I don't think it represents what the film is, you know, uh, the, the 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 stature of the characters. And then finally, I, I do think it, it unfortunately started this trend to minimize Lugosi by studios, by whomever else and stuff. Um, unfortunately, just, you know, and then and then the Lemleys would would, you know, within the next year or so be gone from Universal. Are they gone already in 34 or 35? No, I think I think it's 35. 
I think it's 35. So it's right, anyway, it's right around the time the, the Lemleys get booted from Universal from their own studio, practically by the shareholders. Yeah. And and Lugosi's career starts taking a, a, a slight. I mean, this is, we're right here about the apex of Bella Lugosi's kind of career, uh, at, especially Universal. And then from here, it, 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 it becomes a series of ups and downs and valleys and you know peaks. I mean, just, but, uh, just the disrespect alone. I mean, Koloff was paid $10,000 for this. Yeah, and Lugosi five thousand. I mean, we go back yeah. to to Dracula, the the pay discrepancy between David Manners, and right, Alan. right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if Lugosi just had bad agents, maybe, maybe, or, or he didn't have an agent and just tried to negotiate things himself. It wouldn't surprise me. I'm I'm sure he had some kind of representation, but 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 you know, agents weren't as big a deal back then. These guys were. Uh, under contract with the uh, with the uh, the studio with with Universal, like you said, like Lucian had been booked for these three things, and and he obviously owns Murders in the Rue Morgue. He's the he's the star, un- unmitigated star of that film. I'm anxious to get talking about Black Cat and also Invisible Ray, just because I, those two movies allow for Lugosi to one degree or another be almost a protagonist. Lugosi is kind of a hero in some of these movies. And and that's he got to do that so rarely that I can't wait to like watch this again and talk about. Uh, I mean, bl- I mean, a black hat. My opinion, arguably, his best yeah. performance ever. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, he's he fantastic. As Vitas Vendergast. Oh my gosh, Bela Lugosi owns again. Just my opinion, he owns the black hat. Oh, he he does. Wonderful. He does. He does. And and he and and again, just like this, like this movie and 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 in black hat like he the writers gave lugosi some lines that are almost undeliverable lines they're so weird or bad or or right. out of nowhere and lugosi could just take those lines and 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 play with them and and when they roll off of his hungarian tongue they would always work and stuff so while universal didn't give him top billing in this movie i, I always will give him top billing uh, uh for this because he's that dr Ballin is is a great character in in the pantheon of universal horror absolutely no he's wonderful and you know history shows that he is i would never put one over the other to me it's you know call, you and there's you don't have to pick a favorite again it's like oh, what's your favorite you know who's your favorite actor who's your favorite yeah. movie just enjoy them all you love Kala for you know yeah. certain reasons and you love yeah. lugosi for certain reasons there is no you know there's no pecking order in my mind yeah and and, and really between the two too, I don't think I don't think Lugosi ever blamed Karloff for Karloff's success. It's just Karloff was uh, maybe to some degree, but who knows? But I don't think it was ever it, of the Ed Wood. Bell Lugosi Jr. has has had issues with Ed Wood, with where Lugosi goes off on Karloff and calls him a bunch of names and stuff. Um, yeah, I'm sure there were moments, but uh, and there there always are when someone's more successful than you. But uh, but it doesn't seem like the two men enjoyed uh, any kind of like animosity it, it seems like they respected each other's work uh boris thought a lot of of bella and felt very bad for you know a lot of the troubles bella had in his life i uh, just watched a thing with christopher lee where he, he was talking about you know talking with boris karloff about bella because christopher lee just was fascinated about bella he never met him and he said boris karloff would just shake his head and go poor bella poor bella you know and and he helped him out a lot. I mean, he put him in the Body Snatcher, the Val Luton film. You know, he, he gave him a role when when Lugosi yeah. really needed work. No, and I yeah, think so. Bella does. Yeah, for some reason, Bella gets that rap. And I have never read anything, and you know, I, I feel like I've read quite a bit on just their relationship together. I've never read anything that they had like a um, you know any kind of turmoil. You know, no. it's yeah, almost a think. joke that you know Bella used to get pissed off because he was such a professional. That he didn't like Koloff's tea breaks. That you know, it, they could oh, be in the funny. middle. They could be in the middle of a scene, but if it was tea time, Koloff would stop, cut the scene, and he'd want his tea and just ballad. Any, anyone who apparently who's worked with the British uh, knows this. James yeah, Cameron yeah, yeah. talks about this on Aliens, where like suddenly the entire crew would walk off the set, and he's like, yeah. "What's happening?" And they all just they went to tea. 
Like, that's, that's, the only thing, that's the only thing I've ever read that yeah. you know, bellows yeah. a little bit, just because he was such a pro. Like when those cameras rolled, he was he was yeah. in. But other than that, I think it's a lot of it's a lot of hooey or just people yeah. trying to make up a story. I don't. Think I, I I think it's more interesting story that way, but I don't think that's it, right. it has a lot of basis stuff. And and just Lugosi always is a star in anything he's in, even if he's got a small part, even in like Night Monster we just talked about where he's got a smaller, less grand part. He still always steals the scene, and, and you know, he's always a consummate star. So it's it's always great when we get to talk about when he is. And uh, yeah, we always go down a, a Lugosi rabbit hole. We've done it about twice in this movie. but It's uh, so easy He's because he's so damn good. He's yeah. so good. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're here for. So that's right. Uh, he, he's synonymous with, with what is good about a lot of these films and stuff. So, hey, this is awesome talking about The Raven with you, man. Absolutely. I was really looking forward to The Raven for a long, long time. So happy we could do this. And uh, yeah, thanks everyone for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll talk to you soon at the Bogo Pass Horror Podcast. See you, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode. But the fun does not stop here. You can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Gould. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Ahrens. Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Podcast.